0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we celebrate the triumph of Orthodoxy, the first Sunday of Great Lent. I want to start with a a part of our history. Once lost in pride and haughty toward the table that you set, I became an orphan beggar and forgot my inheritance. Drawn now back to the table by the calling father's grace, my heart is warmed by my family's warm embrace. The voice you heard and spoke of speak even in our day. By example you taught us how to follow and obey. Shared the table when we last meet face to face, I long to share my father's warm embrace. The song we're now singing is a song that they sung. Hiding in the catacombs and meeting on the run. Thrown to the lions, you kept your testimony true. My heart is blessed by the memory of you. It was written by Father John Stephen Hedges in 1977. Part of our journey to Orthodoxy. Lost in pride and haughty toward the table that you set, we were given this great grace by God to find the Holy Church. Um, And if you would have been a part of that kind of motley crew, you'd be more amazed than you are right now. (laughs) But I just want to say that's a triumph of orthodoxy in our midst. Our orthodoxy triumphs when when it lands in the in a soft heart, in a soft place. So I want to give thanks today to begin with in this triumph to Father Richard and Sylvia Ballou, Father Peter and Marilyn Gilquist, Father Gordon and Mary Sue Walker, Father Jack and Esther Sparks, and Father John and Mary Ellen Braun, because those were the five men and their wives that brought us to the faith. Without them, we would not be here. Without them, you would not be here. So we need to pay tribute to that and uh, be grateful for um, God's grace bestowed upon us unworthy uh, Christian people. So that's the first triumph of orthodoxy in us, but today we celebrate the triumph of orthodoxy officially, uh, the defeat of iconoclasm in 1843 that attempt to remove the great and holy tradition of the veneration of the revered icons in the church, this had been established from the beginning, St. Luke the Apostle being proclaimed as the first iconographer. So there was an effort to remove that which had been practiced uh, for for centuries. Um, And so we're grateful today for that truth that triumphed There is, do we see here in the ecumenical councils this prevailing of truth? Truth has a clear and defined, and I think it's important to understand when the church uses the word truth, it talks about the truth. That the truth has uh, characteristics. It has to be conciliar, it has to be agreed upon by all the councils. It must have consensus, it must be amen by the people, by you. When the Nicene Creed was announced to the people, it was read to the people, and they said, Amen, this is what we've always believed. So The people had to say amen to it. And it has to be confirmed through history. Conciliar, consensus, and confirmation. So when we say truth, it has to be maintained and with those characteristics. So truth for us, beloved, and we know this from the very beginning. The truth is absolute. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The truth about God, the ways of God do not change. So we land in this truth, and it was... uh, I'll share a story with you, because it's important. So we're struggling with this back in the 70s. uh, And... um, So, you can imagine we had this dynamic group of people, men and women, who were kind of full of excited opinions about the church. And Father Jack Sparks, God bless him, said in this kind of battling for what we were going to do and where we were going to go, Father Jack said, you know something, if we find something the church has always believed and always done, why don't we just do it and believe it? It was like, oh, good idea. Why don't we just do it and believe it? It's been done for two thousand years. Why don't we believe it and do it? So that was the, it. Changed the direction of everything. We we said we need to be trained in what the church has always done, what the church has always believed, how the church has always practiced. So that to be a Thanksgiving. I want to share another uh, thought with you about this. You know, in the community, when we first became Orthodox, uh, the Christian community, the evangelical community, especially, was a little bit concerned because we were we were convert converted from Protestant to Orthodox. That's changed over the years. There's a great I I have a I go to a prayer meeting with other pastors. It's, I've been going for about 20 years, once a month, and the gratitude they have now for St. Athanasius Church being Uh, a a pillar of historic Christianity they love that it's a pillar of historic Christianity it's in the middle of this community and they love that before they were a little concerned now they love the fact that there's something here that doesn't change as everything's moving around out there in that part of the world the Christian world is not changing here and they thank God for that Um, so Let's move on a little bit here. <laughs> Got a little excited about that piece. <laughs> so the icons from the Snakera of Great Vespers. A, as a precious adornment, the Church of Christ has received the venerable and holy icons of the Savior Christ, the God's, God's Mother and all the saints, celebrating now their triumph restoration. She is made bright with grace and splendor, And drives away all heretics with great rejoicing. She gives glory unto God who loves mankind. And for her sake, the church's sake, has endured his voluntary passion. So we come now to this great tradition in the church. uh, The veneration of holy icons. It came to us because Christ uh, revealed himself in human form, his divinity, through his humanity. So he's showing us that there's a physical aspect of the spiritual life. In other words, we can see the spiritual through the physical. We can see the divine through the human. So that opens this door for the church to be able to use the the physical world to reveal the spiritual world. So we call them windows to heaven, the icons, windows to heaven. You know what a window is? how a window works? Do You know? Can you see into the window? Can you see the other way? So this is happening to you, beloved. When you walk into the church, you're just not seeing into heaven. Heaven is coming to you. It's a very powerful thing to understand this. That there's a, a movement, a spiritual movement that happens in icons. Not only do you see through the icon to the spiritual reality, but that spirituality comes to you. A good friend of mine was uh, named John. I know a lot of Johns, you do not know <laughs> Johns, do, And he was uh, wondering, because you know, we were struggling to find our patron saints. Is it John the Baptist? Is it John the theologian? Uh, John of Kronstadt? What John is it? And one day, he was walking in front of the icon of St. John the Baptist. And St. John the Baptist says, It's me. <laughs> it's me. Walk right in front of it. Two-way icons, right? Two-way. They come to us. We go to them. Very beautiful to see this. The physical uh, reveals the spiritual. You need to understand that that concept, because when you walk into the church, uh, I would encourage you to look at nothing, but look through everything. Look through it. The spiritual reality of a candle. Is that physical light? What else is it? Spiritual light, the light of Christ. I'm glad it didn't go out on me. That would have not been good. So the spiritual realities of the faith are revealed to us in the physical, all over the place. The cross—is this just the cross? It's the cross Christ died on. That's why we kiss it. That's why we put it around our necks. It's the Christ. It's the cross that Christ died on. Not just a symbol, but that symbol reveals the reality of that uh, of that spiritual that spiritual reality to us. I also want to encourage you one more thing about uh, the icon itself uh, or icons. You know, words can be icons, too. you ever heard a word and the word just kind of jumps out at you? Something comes to you. Something is revealed through the word to you. So there's there's an iconographic use of the word to us that when we read through it or hear it, something spiritual is given to us. So my encouragement to you is to understand and and, uh, take advantage of the spiritual realities revealed in the physical in the church. That's why every home should have an icon corner. Icons. Why? Because not only do you get to see through them to heaven, Heaven is coming to you. We have, right in our kitchen, we have an icon of uh, St. Euphrosinos, who oversees our kitchen. St. Euphrosinos was a cook in a monastery. (laughs) It's a great story. And uh, one day, uh, his abbot was taken up into heaven, and he saw Euphrosinos in heaven in the... In the orchard, and he had, and St. Euphrosius had three apples. And Abbot woke up in the morning, and there were three apples on the, abbot, on the abbot's pillow. <laughs> so Euphrosius came back from paradise and gave the abbot the three apples. So he was, uh, he was very af- afraid from that moment on because he didn't want to be, he was just a simple cook. So what I'm saying is that St. Euphrosius has this kind of, uh, Accountants about him there. He's just saying, "God bless you, God bless you, God bless you," and It just comes to us this blessing from God through through Saint Epifanos. Um, so, um, the lives of the saints. Uh, we hear this in the epistle. These Old Testament saints, uh, the New Testament saints that we have. They're, for us, beloved, examples, really important examples. You know, sometimes you read the life of a saint to say, I can't do that. That's too much for me. That's too far. But when you read a life of a saint, you know what you should say to yourself? I can do better. I, not better than them, but <laughs> forgive me. I can do better than I'm doing now. It doesn't need to be that you're going to go uh, tame a lion. Or go to paradise and get three apples. It means you can do better. You can do better than you are. So this encouragement to us, the saints are saying, you can do better. You can do better. It's so important to us to understand that. And their lives produce holy people, what they do, how they pray. We should pay attention to that. How they worship, what their spiritual life is like, what they did, because that then should encourage us to practice how they practiced. So, through their prayers, Lord Jesus Christ, our God, have mercy on us and save us. Amen. And then there's that line in the um, epistle that God has after, listen all these saints, he said, something better has, there's something better for you. What's that better? All these great saints that, that, suffered for the sake of God, for the sake of the Trinity? How do, how do we get better? It's because when Christ came in the resurrection, we're united to Christ, and now we have this unity with Christ, and then together we, 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 we together with them, journey in this Christian in, into, into heaven, into paradise, together. So, the importance for us, beloved, is that we need to understand how, uh, how we need to draw near to God and dwell with God constantly. So from St. Nikolai Vel- uh, Vel- Velimarevich, I want to read this a little bit and we'll end with this. Uh, he's talking about a, a, one of his spiritual children that is very, very distraught. He says, my son... Your soul is on the verge of dying from hunger. My son, eat and drink Christ. Only this can restore your soul from death. Every day, eat and drink Christ. He is the life-creating bread of our souls. So this young man obeyed the elder, and his joy returned to him. So St. Nikolai concludes with this. Brethren, let us nourish our souls with Christ that our soul may be alive and healthy. Let us continually nourish our minds with Christ's thoughts, that our minds might be enlightened and clear. Let us continually nourish our hearts with the love of Christ, that our hearts may be full and joyful. Let us continually nourish our wills with the commandments of Christ and the example of Christ, that our wills might perform good deeds every minute. Let Christ's thoughts be our thoughts. Let Christ's love be our love. Let's Christ's goodwill be our goodwill. Let's continually nourish our souls with Christ the Lord. With our soul, let us continually eat him and drink him. There is no more nourishment, no, nourishing bread than he. There is no sweeter drink than he. He's talking about Holy Communion. In Holy Communion, he gives himself completely to us, body and blood. Both Holy Communion is a reminder that our souls must continually be nourished by him, continually eat him, and drink him just as we continue to breathe. Our good and sweet Lord, stir up our souls that they may continually nourish themselves with thee and remain alive, for you are the bread of life. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.